This is Six for Summer, a radio book club presented by the Prince George Public Library, airing on CFUR 88.7 FM. This initiative is made possible by the Community Fund for Canada's 150th, a collaboration between the Prince George Community Foundation, the Government of Canada, and extraordinary leaders from coast to coast to coast. Prince George Public Library is situated on the traditional territory of the Claitley Tanay, and we offer our gratitude for the land that we gather on. Welcome to the Six for Summer, a radio book club. My name is Patricia, and I am the Adult Services Librarian at the Prince George Public Library. For this summer series, we've been inviting community panelists and library staff to participate in a discussion about a different Canadian book and how it relates to Canadian identity. This week, we're reading The Bear by Claire Cameron. You can find copies of this title on Overdrive for Libraries, Hoopla Digital, and our regular print collection. I'll turn it over to our panelists now and let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Andrea Palmer. Thank you for having me. I'm a lifelong reader and lover of books. I, I read like I love, widely and without bias. <laughs> and I'm proud to say I'm the mother of two nascent little bookworms growing up in my house. I'm Jessica Brown. I'm a library technician with School District 57. And though I still hold my time here at the public library close to my heart. I'm Frank Peebles. I'm a writer, reporter with the Prince George Citizen. And uh, I do a lot of recreational writing on the side as well, so uh, this is right up my alley. Looking forward to this discussion. I'm also a parent, and this book has a lot to do with parenting. So, yeah. Yes. Can't wait for that. Well, thank you all for being here. A brief plot summary of the book. The story is told from five-year-old Anna's point of view and tells the story of how a rogue bear attacks and kills her parents, leaving Anna alone with her two-year-old brother Alex in the wilderness of Algonquin Park. So, let's turn it over to our discussion. So, spoiler alert, all the action happens at the beginning of the novel. So, Patricia didn't just ruin the book, in case any (laughs) listeners are worried. No, I actually quite liked the fact that the author's note comes at the beginning of the book, rather than more conventionally at the end, just because I thought it uh, set the tone for the book. And the author's note explains how this is, the genesis of this story comes from a true life event where a couple was mauled and killed by a bear in Algonquin Park, but the author, Claire Cameron, added the children for extra suspense. Um, I found that the author's note did increase the suspense for me quite a bit because then you know exactly what's going on at the beginning of the book, where Anna, being five, does not understand fully what is going on, especially during the attack itself. Did it work for you that uh, you knew more about what was going on than Anna did? I found that it definitely increased the tension. Um, I found the prose is it's very evocative, it's very well-crafted and beautiful, but the subject matter is definitely not what I would choose to read for myself. So mm. I'm glad I got to read it for this because then I'm you know stretching the boundaries of what I would normally choose for myself. So what I found though, and you may disagree with me, is that I felt like some of Anna's not understanding what's going on is more for the audience's sake, more for dramatic irony, if you will, 
rather than what an actual person in that situation might perceive. Like, she doesn't understand that her mother is dying when her mother is covered in blood, unable to move in front of her. She doesn't understand that it's a bear, even though she has seen bears before. The text notes this. Mm -hmm. So do you think this is an artifice that the author created just for the reader? Yes. Well, it's an exaggeration, I felt. I felt like a lot of Anna's child logic makes sense. Yeah. Um, from like my own experiences being a child, knowing children, um, talking to them. I'm not a parent myself. I found that I identified more with Anna rather than with her adult um, people, like her grandfather and everything. I, I agree that there's a certain amount of artifice in Anna's fantasies throughout the ordeal and in the survival with her brother but on a on a rereading which so I originally read this shortly after it came out and, and reread it quite recently so that I could be well prepared today and and I really felt like there was a lot of disassociation happening now that I'm reading it with the perspective of knowing the course of the novel and I, I actually think it was really well done in that respect. It feels disassociative. She calls the bear the black dog, which I also think, I wonder if she was using that as a metaphor. The black dog is often used in folklore and fairy tales and stories to indicate death, which I thought that had to be a purposeful mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, insertion there. I have to say, though, full disclosure, th this was a very difficult novel for me to read. We were chatting earlier here before the mics turned on and Patricia had asked, is that because I'm a parent? Um, it very well might be. Certainly we all have our triggers and for me, uh, I'm, I'm certain that um, children being placed in violent situations is probably a trigger for me. So I have to share with you that I read a couple chapters in and, and I don't know exactly where I stopped, but I'm going to guess it was around a quarter inch, so around <laughs> at the end of chapter five. I couldn't handle it, and I skipped to the end. Oh, really? So I just, I didn't want to invest in a novel that would devastate me. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to be able to walk away from this if there wasn't a shred of hope at the end. And I've, I've read books before that are dark and, and are think pieces, and they're not fun for me. That's not why I read. Mm -hmm. I don't actually read for catharsis. I know many people do. It's not for me. So I read the end. And uh, I, I don't want to do, I don't know, are we doing, I don't want to do a spoiler or what, okay, we, we're okay to talk about it. I I'm think the book stands on. up whether it's spoiled in some way it's or not. It's true. And as we know, I mean, the parents don't survive. That happens at the beginning. And I'm, you know, happy to share that the children do. I couldn't have read the rest of the book without knowing that. Probably as a parent, but also, you know, from... The way the way the uh, story was being articulated, it is hugely evocative. You you feel the feelings of a child. You feel the loneliness. You feel how bereft they are. Mm -hmm. They talk about their hunger and their thirst, mm -hmm. and and their poison ivy bubbles. Oh, oh gosh, yes. oh. and their skin. Yeah, yeah. The parent in me <laughs> wants to jump in at this point and support you completely on that point because as <laughs> I was you. reading it, I was having a hard time turning the next page because mm -hmm. and I have a five year old daughter, oh, who, yeah. and we live in a bear belt where there's bears wandering around all the time and so this was just ringing in my ears every single page every word was and I almost got to the point where I had to put it down and walk away for a long period of time because yeah. I didn't want it was the same thing yeah. I've been reading 
Cormac McCarthy stuff lately. And he <laughs> you can give do you, dark. <laughs> he does not give you hope, right? right? Everything you hope and strive for at the end gets smashed out. And, <laughs> and I was just thinking, oh, please, Claire Cameron, don't do that to me because this, yeah. is, this is hard on a parent to read. Yeah. And it was terrifying. It really was terrifying mm-hmm. to read this account because of the truthfulness of it. Yeah. And because I've known people who have gone through bear attacks, I yeah. know what can happen and the way it gets done. And gosh, it was just vividly real. Mm-hmm. I found that, like, like you say, Frank, I had to step away from it a few times. Um, and I read it like over a period of like three weeks rather yeah, that's than... that's my stretch on that. Yeah. Point. Like I read the first part and then I'm like phoning my mom going, I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> you know, like, but the beginning is of course the most intense part mm-hmm. of it. So then it got easier after that when we were a little bit further away from the actual like mauling of people and finding of feet, mm-hmm. like severed feet mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah, I just noticed as we were talking that the cover, the title is the bear is is kind of like done sort of like in finger painting in red, so in blood presumably. So and also that's... evocative of the way child psychologists mm-hmm. use art to draw out traumatic information yeah, as, out of a child's as mind. As the child a psychologist tries to do in near to the end. Yeah. And misinterprets what? But it was still successful. That was yeah. the interesting thing was that mm-hmm. even though they fumbled around together and didn't get to the points they thought they were getting, they were still getting to the point. So I, I'm not a parent, but I, uh, my reaction to the book was um, I just opened the page and the world stopped. I, I just was eaten up by the book. Huh? Um, oh. <laughs> 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 I love it. Dark puns. Oh, oh, we're going to be friends. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to ask you, Uh, both of you who are parents, is it plausible that a five-year-old would have enough foresight when she's uh, alone in the woods with her brother after the attack? Uh, Is it plausible that she would have had the foresight to create a spear in preparation for when the big black dog comes and she heard the hunter go bang, bang? Completely. Yeah. I mean, at five years old... great length as I read this book. Oh, <laughs> I mean, okay. it depends on the kid and their experiences, but I think, you know, I will say just big picture wise, this book will speak to anybody who recreates in the North. It's set yes. in Algonquin Park. It could easily have been set in like Carp Lake yeah. or just oh, north of here. It absolutely. Was, it's a remote wilderness that smells, sounds, and looks familiar in all of the descriptions. And these are not necessarily like inner city urbanite children these are camp kids yeah they but they just, are from yeah. toronto they are from toronto but it they talk they have a cabin always make you stupider yeah. than the rest of it does. <laughs> it does. No, i wasn't implying that but i mean they are urban kids they right? talk yeah. about yeah. their cottage or cabin the, true they there do. is a reference it's clearly not their first time canoe camping correct um yeah. these are children who are going to be well versed in stories of hunting and trapping and i know in ontario um particularly northern ontario so maybe not for them you know uh they're not called cottages they're called camps so I think there is this aspect where the kids are used to a history that may involve a spear or a weapon of some kind and Mm. in play and protection Uh, I didn't think that was outrageous and I thought what kept it it real is that it was almost completely useless until she eventually needed to help her walk yes but every kid 
will walk through the woods and pick up a big stick. She can't go anywhere without picking up sticks, yeah. and it becomes a lightsaber or a baseball bat or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Well, so and her and in the book, uh, Alex is actually called Stick mostly most yeah. of the time he because plays. of his enjoyment of sticks. Yeah, but she things. was she was trying to sharpen it as a weapon. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. No, it's not just totally, a stick. I will oh, yeah. say totally though, if I could interject, she it is written from her point of view. Yes. And she may have perceived it as a really straight, smooth, incredibly deadly weapon that she sharpened to a fine point the reality of yeah, observing true. it might be that's true what are you doing with that old stick <laughs> yeah. a grown-up may not appreciate on first glance how deadly her weapon was but for me the sentiment behind uh, finding a way to protect herself and her brother from the black dog I thought that was really powerful yeah I thought really so too. Really strong. Mm-hmm. I loved the image when uh, she and her brother are walking or trying to walk through the forest and they see a big four-legged animal and her little two-year-old brother says, oh, a moose. And she said, no, it's a horsey. And she thought, oh, he's only two. He's got to be wrong. I'm right. It's a horsey. <laughs> I just loved that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there are playful moments. It's not yeah. all dark all the time. And there's moments Thank of cleverness goodness. and yeah. finding berries. I mean, I have to say, like, I'm also somebody who loves adventure stories. So, you know, I don't want to say that when I say I found the book difficult, it was still an excellent read. I, you know, grew up reading Hatchet and... I can't even think of anything else right now because there's a microphone in front of me, but <laughs> books about adventure and fending for yourself in the wilderness. And, and you, you do get that aspect, um, but also how ruinous the reality is for actual children. Like when they are saved, they literally could not have gone on much longer. Their, no. their skin is blistered from poison ivy and probably heat. They're both extremely dehydrated. They've eaten some kind of berry. That was one of the parts that terrified me the most. Like, no, yeah. no, don't yeah. put that in your yeah. mouth. Don't oh, yeah. put that in your and mouth. And the muddy water. Yeah, the yeah. muddy water. You, drink. Like you have a lake right there and you're drinking the puddle water. Yeah. But it's yeah. good. That's what yeah. kids very well yeah. might do. Yeah. But as a self-defense mechanism, really, I found myself focusing on what the functional significance of the story might be really just to get out of the the literalness of it and I think it bears thinking about that the the sharpened stick has nothing to do with the stick at all it's about our primal uh, growth as as a species uh, to to the tool stage (laughs) yeah and and this whole book to me I think is about the evolution of of a human being yeah huh how we're never ready for our parents to be ripped from us. And then we're always on our own, usually with a sibling as our closest companion, usually in a place that feels foreign to us, even if we're generally aware of it, that kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, it was Lord of the Flies in a lot of ways, but just in a a more familial context. Yeah. yeah, she said that in a YouTube video, too, that that was her first... She was reading Lord of the Flies and was inspired by it in uh, an opposite effect that uh, where Lord of the Flies, the boys turn into little animals left alone away from parental authority and civilization. And she was so angered by that because she, the author, is the mother of two small boys herself. And so she wanted to uh, write a story where siblings are actually kind to each other. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting that That's you... That's interesting. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, you picked up the Lord yeah. of the Flies. And, of course, the analogy is often made with the room 
or Room by Emma Donahue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She gets that a lot too. But also she said, a book where I skipped to the end before I could finish it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With good reason. Yeah. That was creepy. The, the book that reminded me the most, or, uh, uh, well, as I was reading this book, that, that came to mind the most was uh, The White Bone by Barbara Gowdy. Have you ever read that mm-hmm. book? I have, that actually. That book is all written from the point of view of an elephant. Yes. In, in the language, a simplistic kind of language of, of yes. a, an imagined elephant that's huh. been, yeah. And this very much was the same oh. kind of language, the same kind of point of view, a very slanted view of the world and very inarticulate Mm-hmm. kind of uh, expression simple mm-hmm. yeah in some but ways but incredibly complex yeah. yeah exactly yeah. metaphorically complex i did a totally different I'm, I'm interested in this um i was gonna say lord of the rings i mean lord of the flies aspect and now that you say it, there's allusions to that where she describes her little brother as being sort of soft and fat and piggy like now i see that sticky and, yeah. piggy there's some Correlations the authoritative there. And with the spear, uniformed of man arriving to rescue the boys in yeah. the, the Lord of the Flies and also mm-hmm. in this book. I think my read was, I guess, very much more an environmental read where I walked away from it basically thinking about and thinking to this moment about the complete indifference of the natural world. Just we are not precious snowflakes in any way. <laughs> and even when we do all the right things and we store our food and we camp correctly and leave no trace, still nature uh, has its way as it wishes. And there's a powerlessness there that I'm left with contemplating our role in the natural world as soft pink beings. Yeah, we're not top of the food chain, right? I mean, yeah, we can be yes. eaten too. Well, and that's really well put, Andrea. The, yeah, uh, it is. Well, in, in the author's note, um, I noticed, like, because um, she says, she's talking about the real attack that really happened in 1991, I believe, and she's saying about how they tried to find out why it happened, and she spends a lot of time in the very short author's note talking about how they did everything right, and they... You know, they stored their food and they weren't menstruating, which I didn't even know was a thing. And now I'm terrified to go into the woods. And um, <laughs> so, and that's so a, it was that's just contentious, the by the way. Do you know Vivian Lohe? No. Vivian Lohe's a local author and I would say Canada's foremost female adventure writer. And wonderful. Yep. She has a whole Shout out her to most, Vivian Lohe. Yeah, absolutely. Go Viv. <laughs> Camel Granny. <laughs> Because she's always got a backpack on. That's her nickname. Oh, I thought that was a book title. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's, that's what it, people who know her call her. But she has a whole, her most famous chapter is called, it's titled, No Sex in the Tent. Oh, God. Oh, okay. And, and this book is why. <laughs> wow. Yeah, in the author, I don't know if it was in the author's note or somewhere else I read, that in the, in the real life attack, there was actually a package they found five days after the attack. There was a package of unopened hamburger. Oh, yes. That's yeah. in the so, author's note. So the bear wasn't just a garbage bear. This was a deliberate attack on people for, uh, for no reason. It was a rogue bear. How quintessential do you think this book is as a Canadian novel? Do you think it could have been written... In England or in Russia or no? No, this is absolutely Canadian. I mean, it could be yeah. in regions of those places. Russia, actually, even I shouldn't jump say no to Russia, maybe, but 
There's a whole lot of places where this book could not have happened. Because they don't have a huge bear population, yeah, you mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and the way you camp is different than the way you interact. Way, with but people. also the way, what nature is to you, if you're um, part of a zeitgeist that, I mean, I, I don't want to stereotype another culture, so I'll just say, put it out there for you place this how you wish, that maybe feels more of a sense of we have dominated nature. This is how we dominate nature. This is how we overcome. That's a different sense. I feel like there's a uniquely Canadian humility in this novel that at some point there is something greater than us and not in a noble sense. There's no um, fable-making about nature here. This is an indifferent, unkind, uh, not purposefully unkind, but this is... I keep coming back to the word indifference. This is a nature that simply doesn't acknowledge a role we play or our history or our abilities or our knowledge. This is just the entry into the natural world and you survive it or you don't. And I think that there is something very Canadian in acknowledging and bending a knee to a natural world that for many of us still surrounds us. Most of our population lives in urban centers so they have a different perspective, perhaps, on nature, but it's still not too far. We're not a well-populated country. And There's these are a lot the of wilderness. Of urban Canadians, right? They're yeah. right yeah. out of downtown Toronto. Yeah. And, yeah. and yet Algonquin Park, if you know, and I've done some Googling on Algonquin Park yeah. since reading this, it's really accessible. It's yeah. right there. Right? It's yeah. just no different than going up. It's into only a, a couple hours north Mount of Toronto, Seymour right? or whatever from, yeah. from but Vancouver. But it is fast, and that's I think the piece. A lot of maybe people who use, a, who use wilderness in more of a front country capacity can often forget is there are, when I was a kid, I grew up hiking the North Shore trails and they're amazing. They're just the most well-developed, well-maintained trails on earth. There's a switchback anytime there's an incline, there's a bridge if it's damp and every viewpoint <laughs> is camera damp. worthy. And when you come up north, if you want to get to the top of the mountain, you walk straight up it and that's how we build trails. <laughs> but between that front country and that more back country wilderness, there's a lot of land and a lot of geography and we have some very big parks in this province and huge swaths of crown land that nobody even really goes into with any great frequency and they are certainly not monitored. By the grace of a supreme being, they went to Algonquin Park and didn't decide to go wilderness camping on crown land. I mean... I just feel like this novel could happen to anybody. And I'm sorry, I know I'm going on, but I have to just say, the person who originally recommended this book to me is a a friend of mine whose family also goes canoe camping a lot more than ours. And after I read it, I said, are you crazy? Why did you recommend this book? I'm not sure I want to go out ever again. How How do you deal with it? And she said, well, I'm a fatalist. I assume that when we go out into the wilderness that we could probably die, and we're going to have a wonderful family trip, and if this is how it ends, this is how it ends. <laughs> Which has, is a, is, I'm wondering if anybody here has ever thought that way, because Often. this no. is a brand new... Often. Really? Please, tell me about it. Because <laughs> I'm um, actively trying not to die. <laughs> it was actually a mental philosophy I actually took on quite deliberately. It didn't grow organically. I read... Um, a book that Ghost Dog, do you know Ghost Dog at all? It got made into a movie by Jim Jarmusch. Oh, relates yes, a lot to right. um, to yeah. um, Rashomon and yeah. samurai. If if you're a samurai, you wake up every day and you imagine all the horrible ways you could die today. 
And then when that doesn't happen, you've That's been gifted with the day and you get to have another one. And also if something bad happens, you're prepared, you're mentally ready for what might come. And I wouldn't call myself fatalist, but I do use that exercise quite frequently where I imagine the worst that may happen and then just approach it more realistically. Oh, how? Well, I find I've found fatalism in myself many times because I struggle with anxiety. So I'm often thinking of the worst thing or a bad thing. And a lot of what you can do to take control from that is to just go, well, if it happens, it happens. And there's nothing I can do about it right now. So why worry about it? I mean, not like that stops anxiety, of course, but it definitely gives you a bit of a handle to kind of go, okay, I'm not, this is, this is um, like acknowledge it and then push it so that it's not in the front of your mind all the time. And acknowledging it is never inviting it. That's the other oh, thing no. too, right? You think about it and you toy with it and some people might find that macabre or whatever, but it's, it's not hastening terrible things. It's just giving them contemplation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of magical thinking to think that you can make it happen by imagining it, right? Like you're a on a boat or something. believe that. Well, you're on a boat or something and you're like, oh, well, this boat could capsize. And then you feel guilty. Like sometimes that happens to people. Casinos um, it, are built on people who think that way. <laughs> yes. Well, and of course, though, like that's, you can't make the boat tip over unless you, you know, are working towards that end in some physical way, but you can't make it with your mind. And that is a thing that I know and a thing that I struggle with remembering in a meaningful way. Are you that person on an airplane who believes that the power of your intentions is keeping it in the air? Oh Did no, um, I'm fully, I'm fully in the pilot's hands. Is this hands a Gerard Depardieu flight story? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like, well, I can't do anything about it, so I might as well enjoy being up very high. But if I'm on a step ladder, that's down to me, and I am scared. Oh, circling back to note. the sorry, <laughs> circling back to the book. Who was your favorite character? The park ranger. <laughs> he got her yeah. bear for I, her. I know that was See, adorable. That is the John, think, the rescuer. I think that actually is the ultimate answer by Claire Cameron to Lord of the Flies, because what Lord of the Flies is written in a time that was militaristically engaged. The British Empire was on the fight at that particular time. And sure, that's a natural thought when your whole world is burning around you and it's you know, very imperialistic that way. And it's just so Canadian that the authority figure that shows up to save the day here is a park ranger. Yeah. <laughs> a guy who's you know, knowledgeable and understands and <laughs> compassionate. You know what, though? I, when I went to school, like, the, the, the people I knew, the men and women that I went to school with that became park rangers... They were solid people. Like, I totally buy into that stereotype. All of my friends who became park rangers, shout out, wardens. Um, They're all really good people with a lot of love and integrity in their hearts. I 100% believe in the stereotype of the Canadian park rangers. And you're totally smart. Really, you are. You cannot be a park ranger successfully over a long period of time unless you have a lot going on between your ears. Because nature, for all the reasons we're talking about, nature will get you if you're not careful. This is true. so who did you like, Andrea? Was, well, was the park ranger your favorite too? There's, I guess I'm sort of contemplating a way to answer this. There's who I liked, which I liked the protagonist. I liked Anna, or Nana, as Stick called her, her brother. But I think in the end, and especially at the very end of the novel, I identified most with the mum. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so f- there's a few moments before mom is no longer a part of the story that she shares with Anna. And at the very end, those moments are revisited mm-hmm. with a return to the island with the now adult um, children. And it's so powerful. It is. Mm-hmm. I actually have a hard time talking about it without a tremble in my mm-hmm. voice. Because Can I yeah. can I talk about it again? I'm worried about tremble spoilers. Away. Yeah. But she approaches the idea in the end where she's standing on the spot where her she's pretty sure her mother had lain and she realizes that if her mom had been able to stay conscious and had opened her eyes she would have been able to see the kids getting into the canoe yeah mm-hmm. and she may have had hope that they would survive which i identified so much with that sentiment that that is i mean i know that that's all she wanted in mm-hmm. the end she would have known at this point that dad's gone she would have known she's on her way she clearly couldn't move something you know she was a broken body and all she would have wanted was just a sliver of hope that her children could have survived yeah it's not enough for me in the book that they did it meant a lot to me that the author author threw us that bone because for the parents to to die is terrible but for them to die in terror that their children were next and they were unable to protect them is more terrifying to me than the actual course of events. It's just that abject terror of not being able to protect your family. That's what gives me the sweats at night. Hmm. What about you, Jessica? Who's your favorite? I really liked the the grandfather. Though he does come quite late in the book, I found him like very... I don't know, he just felt like solid, you know? Mm -hmm. He felt like this is going to be a good place for these kids to be with him because he's grieving and he's showing them that he's grieving. You know, he isn't trying to be stoic and join that toxic masculinity, push out all the feelings, don't feel anything. He's, you know, he's crying in front of them. He's talking about their mom and how, you know, when she was a kid and all of that stuff that's would be very important to have, especially because as we learn at the end, Stick or Alex doesn't have any, barely any memories of their parents. Um, all he has is what Anna and grandfather have told him. Yeah. So at the beginning, I'm just like horrified reading it. And then when I got to the rescue, I was just crying probably for the <laughs> rest of the book is yeah, because, because they were going to be okay. Right. Like, because there's yeah. that horror without tears for me at the beginning where the horrible things are happening. And then that they're going to be okay, but then they, that means that they have to deal with it. Yes, right? are like, they going to be okay? That is yeah. Yeah, the second I mean, step. Like, for that's a, why for a certain value of okay, they're not going to be killed by this bear today. Right. right. That's, yeah. But are they going to be absolutely traumatized and have well, to that and out? And we, that's unanswered. Yeah. Well, that well, psychiatrist didn't answered. help very much, did she? I think the psychiatrist did help a great deal. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you? Well, oh, yeah. I didn't whole, think Even so. though she misinterpreted when the child drew the the, uh, the the she said it was lipstick in reference to the woman's lipstick yeah. it was still the blood that's still the acting out it, that's uh, the child psychologist got exactly what the chi- oh. child psychologist was after oh i disagree i didn't i didn't buy into that at all i well, just yeah, thought no, she missed it completely if it was just lipstick it would have been yeah but it was, <laughs> she was drawing the blood that whole thing was the acting out even though the <clears throat> child called it the lipstick it was the blood that the child psychologist was delving for I thought the grandfather was more of a therapist to Anna than the psychiatrist was. Agreed. Um, I think that... The um, the psychiatrist might agree with you, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Perhaps. Well, and, like, 
And isn't um, that our society? Well, we only see two sessions with the psychiatrist, That's too. True. There's the implication that she's been working with Anna and Stick all along, and she's going to probably continue to do it after the book ends, because as we right. see, like, um, Alex, I, I keep changing names, but <laughs> Alex yeah. um, seems like he's, you know, he seems like he's almost okay. Like, he wants to go back and see it because he doesn't remember it. Right. Right? Like, and it's- he, Anna that lost her voice. Uh, mm-hmm. She was the one that was traumatized because she had memories of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was quite symbolic, too, because she did lose her voice literally in screaming for her brother at one point when she mm, lost true. sight of him after, I think it was after the rainstorm, and she talks about how she screamed his name and screamed his name until there was no voice left. And, and then, of course, once they're rescued, she chooses not to use her voice, which I thought was a really interesting sort of parallel. It actually um, happens a whole lot with victims yeah. who mm-hmm. refuse to speak. It's not even necessarily a conscious refusal, but people well, do lo- literally lose. That's one of the symptoms of yeah. some kind of, of psychosis trauma. following trauma yeah. is loss yeah. of voice. Yeah. Well, and she's, she says that she, the reason she isn't speaking that she gives in the book is that she thinks she's dreaming, too, which is, of course, like the dissociation like we were talking about before with, like, it's not real because it's so bad. Like, it's all... Yeah, and she but, thought the bear was inside her. Yes, because she, like, she keeps talking about oh, over and over in the book about how she must have done something. Yeah. Um, she's being punished. Yeah, which, she's been a bad girl. Uh, heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But I thought the the grandfather was so well wrought in the story. And I thought also that it was so poignant, his relationship with Anna, as he's trying to explain where her parents are now. And he I, I just loved his gentleness with her and that he never forced her to speak. He never got angry with her and that he even bought her a Barbie, I thought was which her mother refused to do. He knew that that was yes. against yeah. the mother's yes. rules. And, and, you know, and he made the, he made the comment. I don't know why she made such a big deal of a Barbie. Yeah. The older generation not getting the evolutionary status of the younger generation. Yeah. And, but know, but, the, but it's still it, okay in this moment. Yeah, like the, it, it's in a way the grandfather had a connection with his granddaughter that mummy didn't have, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, I think that was a really interesting moment. I have to say it kind of broke my heart a little bit though. I didn't, I wasn't as happy about the Barbie doll. Mm. I, so Why? I don't have a problem with Barbie dolls. I'm no, just, no. <laughs> I felt that it was his way of giving her a way to step away from her mom. And that broke my heart, because her mom really didn't want her to have Barbie dolls, and she would have understood that in a few years. And he gave her a way to not have to be her mom's girl in that way. But do you think he intellectualized that, or did he just wanted to make his granddaughter happy? I think he wanted to make her happy, but I think that, to me, was the implication, was Mm. you need... I mean, her mother's dead, she has distance from her mother, but she needed to take a step that was distancing herself from her mother's wishes and hopes and plans. And I think that that Barbie was symbolic of that. I also mm. thought that One could that argue was, that she needed to be disconnected from her mother. Absolutely. Mm. But just yes. as a mother, I'm like, yeah. if I say no Barbie doll, there will be no Barbie doll. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also think it's interesting that he bought her that doll after... 
um, she had sort of taken one look at her old friend Jessica. Jessica was the kid in the neighborhood that had all the Barbies. Yes. And I mean, I think we all know that kid that oh, had yes. all the stuff we wanted to have and weren't allowed to for whatever reason. And that was her first um, breakdown or breakthrough in the novel anyway. It was the first time she screamed and cried or it's the first time they told us she did. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was significant that she was looking at this um, person, this vision of perfection. She describes in huge detail her beautiful dress and her shoes and her little ankle socks. And she just pitches a fit because this is something that she was jealous of and, and she wanted a part of that world and I think she looked at that world and it probably just seemed so alien to her in that moment nothing she could be a part of nothing she wanted to be a part of anymore she did not want to say hello to Jessica she did not want to play and she just lost it she screamed and cried and let it all out and I think that that Barbie doll you're perfectly right just became this metaphor for her yeah. step away and then there was that scene where um, her brother's stick uh, didn't he destroy the Barbie doll or he, he damaged it, it? he's squeezed it she oh just, I thought it was he... so superficial he just sque squished her dress down well and he oh. broke the necklace tiara oh right true, he broke the necklace and the little the pearls went yeah. everywhere and, and yeah, yeah and that's when she really lost it well she lost it um and I pretty sure it says that it's because it will the doll won't be perfect, perfect. again yeah yeah and I, so that was probably part right. of it too um, I think also the reason that she reacts so violently to my namesake's uh, appearance in <laughs> <laughs> it's inevitable um, but the that she'll that she reacts so violently to her is that she always went there with her mom and she always yeah. and now she never can again yeah, yeah. as well right like she can never go back to that time and yeah. so that they wanted her to play with Jessica doesn't make sense to her because her mom isn't there yeah. Right. But I think losing one's parents at such a young age will have lifelong repercussions no matter how long one sees a psychiatrist or counselor mm -hmm. or whatnot. My mother-in-law lost her parents. She lost her mom when she was nine and she lost her dad when she was 10. Wow. And she was the eldest of three. And yes, I mean, she's an 80-year-old woman now and it still haunts her. I don't wow. think it's something that you ever get over. Like you say, I mean, it's, it's always hard no matter what your age when you lose a parent, but to lose a parent when you're still a child, um, I think it has lifelong consequences. Mm -hmm. you're, never, you're never going to grow into the person you would have had your parents been around. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. you're, you're in that instant, you're a different person. Yeah. Your life yes. takes a different trajectory. Yeah. And add to that, under a situation of violence and add to that yes. in a situation where you require protection and have none. Yes. I think it was really interesting, quite a choice made by Claire Cameron to put domestic dispute into the whole story too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just to add a whole another layer of reality to right. what loss means and what, uh, Daddy wasn't living with them for right, a time. Yeah, because there was that right? time there where where she'd already lost that contact with Daddy mostly, yes. and and there was and we were only three. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it kind of just added another layer of yuck to the whole scenario. Yeah, and that this camping that's trip. That's a Canadian story. I mean, that that is most parents aren't together after. A, that's a, true too. As a child grows up. Yeah, fifty percent, right? More. Oh, is it more now? Yeah, wow. oh, it's growing all the time. Wow. 
But um, yeah, I, I found it interesting how Anna was, was very conscious of that. We were four, and then we were three, and now we're four again, and now we're only two. And then when she, yeah. when she thought she lost her brother in the forest, and now, now I'm I am one. one. Yes. There's some really chilling lines. Oh, yes. In this book. I have to say, uh, listeners might think this is a torturous book to read. It's a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> despite the fact that it's heavy. And it's not a big book. And it's not a big book. It's an easy read, and it is driving. Like, I found the, the narrative driving. Uh, I, th- I described this book as difficult, and um, Jessica and... Um, I was just going to say Peebles. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you both described how you had to step away. I was like Patricia, even though like there were pieces of it where I was like, can't do it, can't go on. I was like a little kid with a box of candy. Like I could, yeah. I just, it was like eating oh, till I got sick. I there am parts so of the book much where, like, richer having Ill. read this book, right? I mean, there's some books where <laughs> you get stop. to the end and you shrug and you're like, well, neat or whatever. I mean, you have your momentary reaction. But this is much more than a visceral reaction. This this uh, this changes you. This changes your thought process. It changes your view on life. This is a great book for for yeah. whenever really I recommend pushing your mental buttons for good. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Whenever I recommend this to anyone in the library, I always tell them the dishes will pile up, the phone will <laughs> ring, and there you'll be on the couch just turning pages, and you'll just drop out of your life until you finish the book. Yeah, I felt like I was throwing up a hand. To my family going, I just need to find out if that's the same. I just want to see how she... Mm. And then just trailing off into oblivion. Can I just read one passage? Oh, please do. Um, it'll be really brief. But So it's told from the point of view of um, Anna. And the language is very simplistic and six-year-old-like. And he talks about how... Um, uh, she talks about how, when they're getting hungry. And without mom or dad, there is no lunch. And... Her parents represent everything in her life. Her parents are safety. Her parents are home. They are sleep. They are bath time. They are diapers. Stick needs diapers. That was a big part of this book. Was a kid pooped a lot in this book. But there was this um, one. She's, she's starting to really take over the caregiver role here. And she's talking about how Stick is telling her he gets hungry. And uh, she says, I'm glad that Stick didn't get lunch and I didn't either, so it's equal. But then I feel sad because I am hungry. I wish Stick wouldn't cry. Hungry, Nana, he asks. Why does he ask me instead of Mama? I don't know where Mama is. Mama is the lunch. Ugh. Knowing what you know as an adult, yeah. when she says "Mama is the lunch," I just I thought I read that and thought, "Oh, honey, like you don't even know how real yes. you are right now. Like that is, I'm sorry to be if Mama getting dark the with lunch, the humor. You might have been, yeah. yeah. And that's the conclusion in the end is why didn't the bear go after the children? Yeah, because the bear was full. Yeah. And, and that's, that's that's the only reason. And that is true. That, yep. That's a natural. The bear was full. Which brings me back to just the stark agnostic indifference of nature. Yep. Mm-hmm. Eat until you're full. Me hungry. Me not mm-hmm. hungry. Walk away unless you're playing around. I mean, that was. Ugh. Did you find it tedious having to rely on a five-year-old as a narrator? Just yes. with her only her because five-year-olds are tedious after a while anyway, <laughs> <laughs> at the best of times, <laughs> and I love them. But I thought that was part of it, part mm-hmm. of the fact that the the unrelenting narrative of her five-year-old, six-year-old ramblings. thoughts, ramblings, 
I felt like that was almost part of what I had to get over. I did get annoyed part of the way through, and then I almost got over it because I realized as she was starting to get hungrier and thirstier and even more desperate, that started to spin out of control in a very engaging way to me. I found like part of it, it becomes almost like a detective story because you're trying to figure out what happened in the past, right? Mm -hmm. What happened when you know, we were three. Like, what? That doesn't make... What is happening? And so you have to keep going, and she only gives you little snippets every once in a while as it comes to her. But yeah, on a, on a lighter note, I found that the sibling relationship was rather... I don't know, from my own experiences, having a younger brother is, you know, it happens where you're, you love them, and then you want to hit them, and then your mom yells at you, and then... Um, <laughs> It has to be exactly equal. Yes, we do have, like, you know, we did the thing in my household where, you know, one of us cut the thing and the other one picked which half because then you would cut it evenly or something. <laughs> like, it's it's real. That concept of, like, being fair and being equal, even though you're at different ages and different developmental stages, it doesn't make sense for things to be equal all the time. Yes. Well, she was jealous that he had more snuggle time with mummy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because she's a big girl now. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I go back to how this isn't really about a five-year-old at all. It's about us in society. Mm, and good if point. you read the uh, Facebook threads underneath any important political topic or social topic, there we are. We're the five-year-olds going, nah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm better. Yeah, I don't like that. It's stupid. What about my thing that I want? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. And you can present scientific fact, and they go, yeah, but no. Yeah. <laughs> You're so and, right. And that's, that's why it's funny. You're so right. I, I'm just going through this right now. Work, <laughs> so, yes, I'm, I'm attuned to that. But that's we are that person. Yes, we are. We are. This, this tedious, inarticulate, yes. in a practical sense, stupid, ignorant yeah. creature. We're just in bigger bodies. Yeah. Trying to get through life. Yes. And we're going to mess it up, aren't we? Maybe fatally. Yeah. She is us. And ultimately, the impact is not on the land or the environment or the creature. The impact is only on us. She carries the burden. Not even her little brother carries the burden, other than that he presumably grew up without parents, but he didn't know any different. She knew different. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so she carries the weight and she carries the knowledge and I see that now that you've brought that up that she is the metaphor for becoming human aging becoming a realized person it isn't always a joyful experience but what we all hope for in the end is that our intentions were clear and our intentions were good and hers were certainly good and she really explores whether they were clear or not when she talks about her hope that her mother knew that they were able to get away. And how many times have you almost died in your life? Like I can, I can really vividly Couple. point to a yeah. few, more than a few, where <laughs> really lucky to have gotten through it. Yeah. And that's, I think, what this book is all about, too, is that some people get it and get it bad. The bear comes right in and kills you. And sometimes you just, just... Yeah. Barely scrape through, and you don't even know sometimes how lucky and how you close don't know until after. Yeah. 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 Well, or so you may not know at all. Right? That you begs the even... question: Was this uh, was this trip was this the wrong thing to do? Like, were they unprepared? Nope. I no, actually am asking because it sounded to me like they did everything right. Yeah, and, I think uh, so too. With the cooler, although I think you're supposed to cash things a bit differently nowadays. But. I didn't get the cooler, to be honest. I, I freely admit that there were some parts of the book where I'm reading the description of what's going on, and I did not 
visualize it. I could not tell how on earth they were inside that Coleman without the bear getting into it as well. Don't think cute but early 80s Coleman. Think gigantic. I was trying to cast back to my yeah. own Coleman yeah. years. Think of like the Coleman of now that will... Like, there, there's some big ones. And the way she kept describing how cumbersome it was in the canoe, the now she had to sit situation. on it. The, the it lock, I don't understand I at all. That. Yeah. It was like a tooth. But anyway, Did anybody here understand well, that? He, 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 oh, the father jams the rock into the closing <laughs> of the coolers so that it'll stay open enough for them to have air, because presumably it's airtight. Yeah. Uh, because that's the whole, yeah. like, animal safety thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then um, the bear is trying to get into the cooler. Yeah. And so breaks part of the lock, or part of the lock is sticking up, and that's the tooth, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. The, the lock system, she equates to a tooth, but I, thought, I couldn't I thought figure it out. They I mean, were it either. didn't matter. Yeah, didn't you're right. No. I thought that they were able to get out of the Coleman because it tipped over. Yeah, there was some kind of breakage there. That yeah, and then what and she, she described as the tooth of Coleman. Yeah, they uh, that broke off, right? Yeah. I'd like a representative from Coleman to call in <laughs> and offer us some perspective. That they've yeah, they've That's got a great idea. A really idea. good shutout in this book, and I they would just like to send Claire Cameron a fat check, is what they ought to do, <laughs> or at least a free cooler. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Although there's some bitter irony there. Um, yeah, I just I just wondered what other people thought about that whole notion of. The, the camping situation. Go camping, folks. Go camping. <laughs> Still go camping. Yeah. I think so. I, I you mean, can't stop life, right? You gotta go, you gotta live. I, I don't think we should regard the bear, at the, uh, the story, uh, like people did the Jaws in the 70s, you know, when people stopped swimming in the ocean yeah. because there might be a great white shark out there. I don't think people should there stop camping. There are great white sharks out Absolutely, there. but I don't people think... still swim in the ocean. Now they do, but for but for years afterwards, yeah, they did Yeah, there's some American pullbacks. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, certainly Americans from there the American There was actually a market studied. There is evidence to show that after Jaws, there were changes in American behavior. Well, when it came really? to swimming in water. Yeah, I read studies well, about it when I was in university. Definitely, <laughs> like, in regards to sharks, well, there's, like, so many endangered species now because people are, like, they hear shark and they just kill, basically, yeah. is how just it goes it. Yeah. a lot of the time, which is not good. Yeah, and I wouldn't obviously. want people not to camp in Canada just because they read the bear and, you know, it's well, like, heightened there their bears, awareness right? of bears. Like, there are bears in yeah, the woods. That's like, the reality. We're going into the their territory. Yard all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We have yeah. a guy living in our house. He's from Australia and we took turns. He's like, bears, scary, right? And we're like, meh. <laughs> Just be careful. Don't yeah. go near the bears. And, <laughs> Bring and, pepper and, and spray. And I said, sharks in Australia, right? And he goes, yeah. meh. Yeah. Just gotta be careful. Yeah. I feel like the answer to that is everything in Australia. My impression is everything that every natural thing can kill you there. Yeah, that's why they're so nice, because they understand the fragility of their own life. <laughs> you know, well, but that leads me to think, maybe it is just that, that notion of the unknown and the other. We are fairly yes. used to seeing a certain type of wildlife. We mm. thought it was cute that he knew it was a moose and she thought it was a horse. When I first moved to Prince George, I was up in Forest for the World with my roommate. The first week I was here, fresh out of the city, saw a moose, thought they were just like big horses. I knew they were moose, but I didn't get it. 
And I honestly thought you could walk up to them. And that's actually oh, what I really? told yeah. my Australian uh, the housemate. Was like, I'm still it's the here. moose you got to watch out for. <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. the ones that'll get you. Yeah, yeah. really scary. No oh well, maybe that's why she calls it the dog, right? Because she's seen bears before. Anna in the book, she's seen bears before. She knows, presumably, somewhat what bears look like. But because the bear in this attack is acting so differently. Maybe that's part that's of why. Yeah. She's seen yeah. dogs attack. She she's knows seen dogs, dogs yeah. attack. She's, she's seen aggressive seen behavior from them, to right? To her, a bear is a cuddly thing. Even well, yeah, Gwen. The... Well, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Gwen, her teddy bear. But also, she's seen like bears like from far away, um, just like around their cottage, and that's why we have to keep the food in Coleman and all of that. Like She knows all of the safety rules, but she doesn't gotten the visceral danger of it. And that's part of why she doesn't seem to understand it's a bear. Okay, we only have two minutes left. Uh, do we have any closing thoughts that uh, you want to share about the bear? I would say I wouldn't recommend this book to be read by just everybody. <laughs> no. However, do those who do read it are really going to love it. Oh, right? It's yeah, not for okay. everybody. I'm okay. not saying, hey, everyone should read the book. Right? It's, oh, it's, everyone should read this it's book. It's a traumatic, scary book, and you might put it down and not want to go back. That's, That's true, That's fair too. enough. But, but you still you should read it. soldier through, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and about Canada yeah. and life. Well, especially if you, you know, I know people who work with, you know, traumatized children. Don't, don't read it, guys. Like, yeah. because <laughs> it is, yeah, it's bad enough and I don't know anything. And so, but like, it, it's beautiful. The prose, definitely. The subject matter, I'm, it's definitely not for me. Yeah, it's a work of art. I loved it. I recommend it to everybody, but it really made me realize I'm not that special. I'd like to thank my fellow panelists, Andrea, Jessica, and Frank for being here today. And thanks to all of our dear listeners for tuning in. Tune in next week to hear us discuss Bev Steller's memoir, They Called Me Number One. The episode discusses the effects of residential schools and might be triggering for some individuals. So please take care if you're planning to listen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Six for Summer on CFUR 88.7 FM. This radio book club was created by the Prince George Public Library on Clayton Tenay Territory. This initiative is made possible by the Community Fund for Canada's 150th, a collaboration between the Prince George Community Foundation, the Government of Canada, and extraordinary leaders from coast to coast to coast. Participate in the discussion online using the hashtag PGReads. This week's episode features music by Chad Van Galen, Grizzly Bear, and Maple You Know.
It's all right. It's all.